Now can you hear me? Sorry. All right. I, I want to thank you for the opportunity that I have to be here. When uh, I think about the church here, Open Door Bible Baptist, there's a couple of things that come to mind. And uh, I don't think there would be much argument from the people that live in New York City that New York City would probably be considered the capital of the world in many respects. Now, if you believe that, say amen. All right, I do believe that. And so during the Bible times or when the Apostle Paul was writing and he was doing his ministry and uh, had this great desire to go to New York City, his New, the New York City of his day would, of course, have been Rome. And he had a great desire to go there. And it took him a while before he ever got to go there. You understand, he was church planning. He was doing the work of an apostle. But when he sat down to write the book of Romans, here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 9. He said, uh, or verse number 8, I should say, chapter 1 of Romans, chapter 1 of Romans, verse number 8. I'll get it out in a minute. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I don't know if you realize that, but the faith of Open Door Bible Baptist Church here in Astoria, New York City, Queens, is spoken about all over the world. And you're known all over the world, especially the United States, whether you uh, know that or not. So it's my privilege to be here. I mentioned yesterday that uh, I pastored Calvary Baptist Church for almost 12 years in a little city of Missouri called Knob Noster, Missouri. And that is where the B-2 bomber is, that Whiteman Air Force Base. And our, our church property actually set, uh, butted up against the Air Force Base. And uh, we went to, took a vacation down in San Antonio where my wife and I had gotten saved back in 1984. And we were taking our teenage children at that time uh, to show them where mom and dad uh, we're in the military, where we got saved, where God called us to preach, where we lived. We kind of did one of those vacations. Came back through Oklahoma City to a meeting where we met your pastor and the need of this church building. And uh, basically, uh, we got on board with it and been giving ever since. We love Brother Newberger. His wife, Kelly, was a uh, uh, roommate with my daughter at Heartland back in the early 90s. No, to the early the early aughts in the early 2000s. And so uh, we're glad for what God is doing. And there should be a light of the gospel in every city, including right here. All right, now, take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of James, chapter number 4. The book of James, chapter number 4. Is it your custom to stand or not? Do you all stand for the reading of the Word of God here normally? You do not. That's fine. We'll just remain seated. When in New York, we'll do it like the New Yorkers. When in Queens, we'll do it like the Queens. When you come to Berean Baptist Church, you'll have to stand for the reading of the Word of God. But you remain seated uh, this morning. Now, I need uh, about three messages to preach to you before I get to the text, but I won't have that opportunity. So I may say some things, which will probably be good for your sitting, until I can get to the text to where I want to preach this morning in James chapter 4. I believe that everybody would understand in here that we all have a conflict inside of us. It's a conflict of the flesh. It's a conflict of the world. It's always coming at us. It never stops. This conflict, this rebellion against God, 
literally that showed up in the Garden of Eden, we're still dealing with it today. There's just no doubt about that. At the same time, we know that God Almighty has a plan for our life. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. It is the will of God, according to the Word of God, that people repent and trust Christ as their Savior. Now, praise God for salvation. Praise God for a changed life. Praise God the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. But that old flesh, that old nature, that world that we live in doesn't go away. Now, one day, we're, going to have to, we're not going to have to deal with this world, and we're not going to have to deal with this flesh. But right now, we do. So we know that God is never going to leave us without His plan. He's never going to leave us without His Word. He's going to tell us, literally, how to live with the conflict in the world that we live in. Now, James is writing to some Jewish believers, Hebrews, that uh, had gone through much persecution. There's a lot of things going on in their life. Many of them had lost their home, their occupation because of their faith in Christ. We understand the Bible teaches us that if anybody that lives godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We live in a great country. We live in great freedoms. I mean, we just don't realize how great our freedoms are in this country. But that's not like that everywhere. If you're a believer somewhere in a country like China or uh, somewhere else, uh, there's underground churches going on right now preaching uh, in China in different areas. We came... And we came freely of our own accord, and we didn't come this morning concerned about somebody may stopping us and arresting us because we're a believer and because we're going to assemble together with a congregation. But these people did that. So James writes to them about a lot of things. But then when he comes to chapter 4, he's going to get really blunt. My pastor used to say that he was pretty, he would be concerned about James coming into a a church today because many people would not be willing to listen to what James had to say. And he's going to call them worldly. He's going to call them adulterers and adulteresses because of the, the, the affinity that they have with the world. And we know that the, uh, the church at Corinth was carnal. And we all have the ability, we all have the possibility of living carnal. But no matter what, when he gets down to the bottom line, He's going to tell us what the cure is, and that's what I want to get to. I want to preach about the cure of the conflict. I want to preach about the cure for our internal conflict. I want to preach about the cure for the external conflict. I want to preach about the perfect harmony that was once in creation that has now been disrupted by the rebellion of mankind lies lies inside of every one of us. We're all sinners. We all deal with the flesh. We all deal with the world. And we all deal with the coming of Satan. So start with me in chapter 4. And I'm going to read down to verse number 11. But then I'm going to start the message in verse number 6. But I want you to get the context. Again, I'd have to preach three messages between uh, chapter verse number 1 and verse number 6. And I'm not going to do that for your sake. I could, but the preacher wouldn't let me do that. From whence come wars and fightings among you? See that? There's that rebellion. There's that conflict. Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. 
You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. In other words, there's this great rebellious conflict inside of us that even causes many times our prayers not to be answered, and it just overcomes us. Verse number 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. In other words, James is just letting us know that sometimes we are selfish, self-centered. Everybody with me this morning? So true. The Bible's always going to be true. It's always going to expose who we are. And then I believe that one of the most boldest and bluntest verses, verse number four, everyone can understand the imagery that James is giving here by saying, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Conflict, conflict, rebellion, uh, loving the world, loving self more than loving God. Being more concerned about the carnal many times than the spiritual. Now, verse number 5, I want to call this verse a bridge verse. Verse number 5 is like a bridge. Now, he has been very negative and very forthright in these first four verses, telling us about the conflict, the worldliness, enmity with God, the things that the rebellion that causes us to have the conflict. And now he's going to give us a bridge verse. I like to call it a bridge verse number 5. And here's what he says. Do you think... That the scripture saith in vain. In other words, do you think God's just writing something for no reason? No, we know that everything in the word of God that he writes is for a specific reason. And here's what he says. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. In other words, God is jealous that we would be spiritually minded. That we would live his way in the world of conflict. That the rebellion and the conflict and the inner turmoil and the world that comes against us, God says, I'm lusting to envy. I want you to do the right thing. I have a plan for your life. I have a solution for the conflict. I have a cure, if you would. I can tell you how to live in this world. To which I say, Lord, please help me. I need your help. Everybody agree with that? So he's going to begin to tell us, and this is going to be the message now, after I just preached three messages in those first five verses, and got you across the bridge in verse number five, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God has the best interest for us, that God's not going to leave us without a remedy. He's not going to leave us just like He doesn't leave the world in sin without a remedy. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for all of mankind, that we too can have the forgiveness of sin, that we can know that we have a home in heaven, that we can... Know that we're saved by the grace of God. Oh, I'm thankful for that this morning. But we still live in this world and we still live with this conflict. So here's what he says in these next few verses. He says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, for where, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. I'm going to stop there, and we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to move right into the message this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for the faith of your people. Thank you for this congregation, this assembly of believers. Lord, I pray this morning that we might agree with you that we in many times have the friendship of the world and it becomes the enmity with God. That inside of us are wars and our members of ourself, our selfishness, our worldliness, the things that we, we are in conflict on a daily basis causes us not to be the witness or the Christian that we are supposed to be. But I thank you, Lord, that you've not left us without a remedy, that you give us the cure for the conflict. I pray that you'd help me in the next few moments and that we would be ready to receive the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I think you understand that there are times that you will go to the doctor and have always been... These are all the things that we deal with. These are conflicts... And then he says, however, there is a Spirit of God that lusteth the envy or wants the best for you. And oh, by the way, let me give you the prescription that you might be able to live. And so here's what he says after he gives this great dissertation of the first five, four verses in the bridge that crosses over to the verse number six. He says, if you're going to live in a world of conflict, and a world of rebellion inside of you, the first thing that we're going to have to recognize is this. We must live by the grace of God. Now, he says in verse number 6, but he giveth more grace. Now, preacher, are you going to tell me that's the answer to our problems? Yes, grace. We need the grace of God. Now, when we think about the grace of God, uh, many times we think, for by grace are you saved through faith? Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And we are saved by the grace of God. What does that mean? It means that we didn't do anything to attain our salvation. There was no work that we did. There was no merit that we we did. There's nothing within us that would cause God to say, Oh, I'm going to save you and I'm not going to save you. No, we're all sinners in the need of the grace of God. And when we called upon Him, when we repented and trusted Christ as our Savior, it was the grace of God that showed up and saved our wicked soul. Now, if you think about that word grace and how God saved us, you would understand that it was God's help in the sense that God was the one that did it all. It was by the grace of God that we are saved. Well, listen, my friend, if we're saved by the grace of God, if we're saved with God's help then the only way we're going to live in this sin-cursed world is by the help of God or by the grace of God. Now, you can go over to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and the Apostle Paul is preaching uh, to the Corinthians about giving, and he's talking about the offering, and I don't have the time, but he called that offering grace. He called it a, a grace. He called it grace. He called it, in other words, God helps us. Only God can help us. And really, one of the definitions of the word grace is help. And I like to say it like this. The grace of God is the help from God. Now, if you're from Tennessee like I am, you don't really say help. You say help. It sounds like H-E-P. God, I need your help. I need your... Now, if you, you want to say it in New York style, you can say help. But we need God's help. 
My friend, I can't live in this world. I can't live with this conflict. I can't live with this rebellion within me without the grace of God. And so I'm just telling you, God says, come to me, I'll give you the grace of God. Now let me just tell you this, what God is saying in verse number 6, but He giveth more grace, and then He says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. God says this, you need to rely on me. Now the devil says, rely on yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. No, we can't. We couldn't save ourselves, and we cannot help ourselves in many of the areas of our Christian life. We need God's help. I need God's help. I remember last year, uh, just a little bit before this time, uh, one of my men was dying. One of the men in our church was dying of cancer. I've known him since the early 80s. Uh, if it wasn't for him, my kids probably wouldn't have had clothes going through Bible college. They had, he, had, uh, he had children about the same age as I did. They were just a little bit older than me. And uh, so when, one, when the daughter, would, her clothes would be passed down to my daughter, uh, he had two sons a couple years older than my son, and their clothes would be passed down to him. I went through Bible college, and man, they wore Gucci's and uh, everything uh, because that, these clothes were passed down. We became friends. He was one of the he was one of the best deacons that you could ever have in a church. He was a a great uh, man of God, just awesome. And he got cancer, and he was dying. And I tell you, I told God, I can't, I can't live without this man. Now I know that I'm being selfish, and I know that that I I can. But what I'm saying, I, in this difficult situation, I, you know what I said? I said, God, this family needs your help. God, I need your help. God, I need your help. You know what we're asking for when we're asking for God's help? We're saying, God, give me the grace that I need to go through the situation that I'm going through. And I'm telling you, if God can save you by His grace, He can help you to live in this sin-cursed earth by His help, by His grace. Thank God. Now, the problem is, is we just try to do it on our own. And when we try to do it our own... I think the text makes it very clear in verse number 6 that that's pride. And when we think we can do it on our own or we're going to try to do it on our own, we're going to fall flat on our face because God is there with His grace to help us in every need. And so if we need God's grace for salvation, we need God's grace for His living. There was an old radio preacher named Oliver B. Green who uh, I used to hear uh, in my early Christian years. And he made this statement, and I wrote it down. He said, what God demands, God provides. And my friend, you're going to go through things in this life that you never thought that you would go through. Because, because uh, the, the life that we live is not a fastball every time. Have you ever seen a Major League Baseball player and a pitcher doesn't do anything but throw fastballs? You, he, after a while... You throw a Major League Baseball player a couple of fastballs, the third time he's going to whack it out of the, he's going to whack it out of the stadium. So you know what the pitcher does? He throws a slider or a curveball or something that's not straight, and that's the way life is. Life is not fastballs. Life will throw you fastballs, but every once in a while, whoop, a curveball or a slider, and you're like, whoa, what was that? I don't think I can live with this. Yes, you can. You think about these Christians here that had lost their homes and lost their livelihood because of their Christian life. God said, get away from your pride. Listen, get away from the conflict by coming to me. I will help you. I will help you. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy and said, be strong 
in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know Paul was a testimony. He had a great testimony as a missionary, as a preacher, and even as a Christian. And he knew what it meant to live by the grace of God. Because I want you to understand that over and over and over, Paul would survive trials and troubles. And he would say that he did it by the grace of God. One of the, my favorite verses in all the Bible is in, is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, when it says, God said this, You can come... He, by saying this, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? Why can we come boldly to the throne of grace? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is life throwing you a curveball? You need the grace of God. We fail if we focus on the problems of life instead of drawing upon the provision of God's grace. You want to win the conflict? You want to win the conflict? Then you need to rely on you need to rely on God's grace. Look at look at the second thing here. Very, moving along right here, it's in the text. But He giveth more grace. Wherefore God saith, verse number six, God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace. I'm sorry, uh, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know what the second thing God says is? Listen, listen you're going to have to have my help. You're going to need my grace. You're going to have to rely upon me. But here's another thing you're going to have to do. You're going to have to give up your rights. Boy, do we not live in a culture that goes, I got rights. This is my right. I have a right to inherit this. I have a right to do that. I have a right to do that. You know, you know what we have a right to do? Die and go to hell. That's what we have a right to do based on who we are. But by the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God, He saves us gives us a salvation, gives us a home in heaven. But when it comes to the Christian life, my friend, listen to this. You've got to give up your rights. You have to give up your rights because he says submit, which means you need to arrange yourself under the authority of somebody else. And what God is saying here is if you want to live in this world and the conflict that comes and the trouble and the worldliness, number one, you're going to have to have my help by God's grace, but you're also going to have to humble yourself or give up your rights. Now, the word submit is a military term, and Paul uses a lot of an imagery of the athlete. He uses a lot of imagery of the military. The Roman military presence would have been all through the that Roman world, the Olympics and all that goes along with that. And the, uh, they, he, he would use imagery just like Jesus did. As Jesus used parables, he would use these stories that people could understand. Jesus talked about sowing the seed. Man, there'd be people going, yeah, we see that all the time. Paul talked about imagery of the military. There's military garrisons all throughout the Roman world. And here's what Paul said. Arrange yourself under the commander of uh, arrange yourself under the command of somebody else. And that's what he said. You're going to have to resist your pride. You're going to have to resist the devil. You're going to have to re- you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to understand God's help. You're going to have to resist the devil. And then you're going to have to uh, resist your pride. You have to get away from your pride because he'll give you that grace if you'll humble yourself. And so what Paul is saying is arrange yourself under God's authority. He is the commander and we are the soldiers. And no one accomplishes anything in battle unless he follows the instructions. 
When I was in boot camp back in the 1980s, back in the 80s, I was, I was uh, in, in, uh, in boot camp, and one of the things that we had to do was we had to be on dorm guard. We had, to, we had to guard the dorm. And what that meant was that while everybody was sleeping, we had to make sure that nobody would come in. Now, the door was locked, and so what would happen is, is they would try to trick you, or they'd try to get you to, they'd try to come in. So a guy would come in, he'd knock on the door and say, let me in the door. And we would have to read this uh, sign right above. And I can't remember exactly what it said, but basically it said something to the effect, I need to see your ID, you need to show yourself who you are, you need to represent yourself. And what they would do is, I remember this one guy, first time I ever did it, he stuck a, a Texas driver's license. And I knew that that was not the right... Uh, I'm not going to let him in. So I told him I wasn't going to let him in, and he called me all kinds of things and hurt my feelings and... You know, said all kinds of things, but he's on that other side of the glass. So I just looked at him and told, and then I read the thing again. So finally, after a few minutes of yelling and screaming and waking everybody up, he puts up his military ID, and I let him in the door. And he didn't even look at me. He did some things, whatever. Well, I got, you know, after six weeks of this, and you do this dorm guard at 2 o'clock in the morning, I realized that I could memorize this thing up here. And uh, so I did. But that was not the instructions that had been given to me. The instructions had been to read it. So even though I memorized it, one morning, six weeks in, I just looked at the guy and said it. Oh, son, it was on, as we would say in the South, like Donkey Kong. Because when he got through that door, he got in my face, told me how I didn't follow instructions, made me do push-ups, and probably all kinds of things. And I'm just telling you, we need to follow orders the way God says, not the way we want to do it. And we can't live the Christian life. And we can't deal with the conflict by doing it in our selfish pride. We must humble ourselves and we must give our rights over to God and be willing to do what He says we're supposed to do. How many times do we read in the Bible about rebellion? Rebellion always leads to judgment. Rebellion is the sin as witchcraft. Rebellion is stubbornness and, and is iniquity and idolatry. And we know that, that, that God even rejected Saul from being king because he didn't do it the way God said. He did it the way he wanted. And my friend, when we do it the way we want, the conflict rages and the selfishness and the pride cannot be left aside. We must, we have got to go to God for help. We've got to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. We have got to go to God and we've got to arrange ourselves under Him. Then it says this, not only that, it says, uh, submit yourselves therefore to God, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this is a great command with a promise, meaning that if we will resist the devil, in the faith, uh, Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 5, 9. He said, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, right? And in verse number 9 of that same chapter, Peter said, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Faith. We're going to believe God. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to police God. Now, here, here's another military term, the word resist. It's a strong word that means have a determination to defeat the opposition. 
And here's what you need to understand. If you ever see somebody in war, read about war, whatever it might be, war is a life or death situation. You don't play around when you're in battle. You follow the orders. You do what the commander says. Because we get in trouble when we don't take the battle seriously. Peter would go on to say, in that, back in that text of, of where, as the devil is a roaring lion, he, said, he would say this, accomplish this by being steadfast in the faith. Steadfast is another military term that means put up a solid defense. So God says resist the devil when he comes at you. Oh, by the way, he will this week. He'll be coming at you. Resist in the faith. Steadfast. Don't think you can fight the devil. No. You, 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 get, you need God's help. God, I need your help in this situation. God, you know what's going on. I need your help. I want to humble myself. I want to arrange myself under your command. I want to do what you say. But, but I'm telling you, the world will say, no, you got to do it this way. No, 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 no. You got to stay with God. You got to stay with God. Then he says this, not only that, but you got to draw nigh to God. So you got to draw nigh to God to be able to resist the devil. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, verse 7. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Now, I'm just telling you, this is what God says. The reason that you're not close to God is because you're not drawing near to him. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Because the Bible teaches us all through the scripture that when we get away from God, we call that backsliding. We're sliding away from where God is. God never went anywhere. He is in the same place that he was when we left. He just says, draw back near to me, and I'll draw near to you. You know what this means to me? It means repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Cleanse your hands, he would say. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's all right there in verse number 8. And you know what the word draw near means? It means draw near. Come close. Come to me. I say to my grandkids, I have seven of them, come here. Come here. Come to, come to Papa. Papa or Nana. Come, come over here. What do I, I want them to come over to me. I want them to be near to me. I want to be able to hold them. I want to be able to throw them. Now, in my house, when I, my grandkids, when they're little, and if I get up from my chair to go get something, they all run and get in it. And then when I come around the corner, they're all, ah, they're laughing. You know what they want? They want me to pull them out of the chair by the feet, chunk them over there. And then when I go get the other one and pull him, that one out, then the other one runs back and this thing goes on until I either have a heart attack or I'm out of breath and I'm so bad and I go, okay, that's enough. Get out of my chair! (laughs) You know what they're doing, really? They're drawing near to me. That's what God wants. God wants you to run and get in His chair. He wants you to draw near to Him. You're not going to, you're going to live in the conflict of this world unless you draw near to God. Um, Come near to me. Pursue fellowship with God. Actually, the language here is that of a Levitical priest coming near to the altar. And we could find in Exodus where it says, And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. So that teaches us that you just can't come to God dirty, sinful. No, you have to cleanse your hands. You, you, you have to cleanse your hands, you sinners. 
You have to purify your heart. You, you know you can't come to God. You cannot draw near to God. You cannot get God's help unless you repent of sin. It's just not going to happen. Because we know that Isaiah made that very clear that our sin takes us away from God, puts us far away from God. And then we wonder why this conflict rages and why the world uh, sucks us in. I'm just telling you, it's a serious matter when the priest went before God on the Day of Atonement. He had to be right or he would die. John says, the Apostle John says to us in 1 John, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he goes on with words like this. Look at verse number 9. This is the idea of repentance. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now this is in connection to verse number 8 when he tells them to purify their hearts and cleanse their hands. And I'm telling you, this is the attitude of repentance. And when we see our sin as God sees it, guess what? We will be broken. Genuine repentance involves grief over our sin. And when we get to this point, we can present ourselves to God utterly helpless and utterly broken. And by the way, guess what? When we come like that, God says, okay, I can help you. I can help you. But He can't help us in our sinfulness. He can't help us in our selfishness. He can't help us in our pride. He cannot do that. So he goes on to make sure that we understand this. Now, here's another cure. I just want to make sure that I reemphasize this. In verse number 10, he says the last thing. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know, the word humble just means very simply to be brought low. And every time that I see the greatness and the majesty of God, it humbles me. I think about Isaiah when he said in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. I believe one of the things about Isaiah and his relationship to King Uzziah was he couldn't see himself without Uzziah. He couldn't see him, his ministry without him. He couldn't see all of that. But God said, hey, you don't, you don't need anybody but me. I think about in Luke after Jesus Christ's miracle of the large catch of fish. Remember when James and Peter and John had fished all night and they caught nothing? Man, they were discouraged. This was going to be a bad day, a bad night. It was, a, it was not what they were used to because these men knew how to fish, but the Lord was going to show them something. And so uh, he said, just throw your net over on the, on the side. And he said, now, Lord, now you're, you're a carpenter. We're fishermen. We know how to fish. Nevertheless, at thy word, and they threw the net over, and, and Jesus had, had a group of fish to show up and go in the net, and they, the net break, and they, they just could not hardly pull it in. You know what Peter did after that? The Bible says in Luke 5 that he fell down at the feet of Jesus at his knee. He fell down on his knees, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And you know what? That's the place that we need to get to, to humble ourselves before God. And I'm telling you, my friend, you, you need to be careful to try to do it on your own. Because God knows how to humble us. He knows how to bring us low. And several Bible characters serve as example of how God deals with pride. We could think about Cain or Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar when the, when the tree was cut down. And he, and, he, and he lived like an animal for seven years. And after seven years, God gave him his mind back. And he stood up and he said, Now I know that there is a God. Why do we have to be brought so low to be an animal before we recognize the awesomeness 
and the majesty of God. God's people shouldn't be like that. God's people should understand that we cannot live in our pride if we're going to allow God to help us. Charles Bridges, who I believe wrote the best commentary in the world on the book of Proverbs, said this, and I I just quote what he said, There is no more abhorrent sin than pride. There is no sin more abhorrent to the character of man. It is if we were taking the crown off the head of Jesus and placing it on ourselves. It is man making a God of himself. Unquote. To which I say, pride is exalting yourself to the place of God. And when that happens, there's always going to be a conflict. You know, a person cannot come to saving knowledge of Christ without humbling himself and saying, I cannot do it. It's not of me. It's all of you. And that's why God says, repent and believe the gospel. There will always be conflict where there is pride. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised, it is wisdom. Now, my friend, we're all sick. We're sick of conflict. We have rebellion. But God has written the prescription for us to take our medicine. God says, I've got a plan. Your flesh brings conflict. The world and the devil bring conflict. Here's what you need to do. Get away from your pride. Arrange yourself under another commander and humble yourself. Get as low as you can as you repent of sin and submit yourself to God's authority and rely upon His help or His grace every day. That's the prescription. That's how we live in this world. That's how we live with ourselves, and that's how we live in this conflict. Now, we can certainly make the application that's how we get saved, is we come to God and He saves us by grace, not of ourselves. But if we got saved by the grace of God, guess what? We're going to need the grace of God to live every day. I need His help every day. Let's stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, we need Your help. We believe the Word of God. There is a conflict. It rages on a daily basis. The world is against us. The devil hates us. But Lord, you love us. And you tell us in this conflict, all we have to do is arrange ourselves under your authority. Ask for your help. That last verse, in verse 11, he also tells us to refrain our tongue. Quit judging others of what's going on with us. But Lord, help us to arrange ourselves under your authority. And help us to rely on your grace. We have not because we ask not. And then when we do ask, many times we ask amiss or not in the right way or we ask selfishly. Never seeking the will of God, only our self-satisfaction. I pray we would be broken today. I pray that we would come to you. I pray that you would help us and that we would come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy in time of need. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. What are we going to sing, brother? 301. Let's take a hymn book and turn to 301. Let me just say this this morning. If you need somebody to pray with you, there is no doubt there's people in this place that can pray with you. If you need to be saved this morning by the grace of God, 
Hey, this is a great place to get saved. But I will tell you, based on the text we read, there is a conflict, but there is a cure. God has the remedy. Just follow God's plan as we sing. 301.